So, it's good to see you. Very warm welcome to you all, many, many familiar faces, and it's really lovely to see you back, and I hope you find that coming back to IMS is something of a homecoming. And for those of you who are new to this retreat or new to IMS, um, I hope you feel very warmly welcomed and that you will indeed also feel very much at home here. Um, start with some, can you hear me all right? Everyone right in the back? Great. Okay, thank you. Um, starting with some introductions and just a little bit about who we are. Um, we have Rachel on the end here. Rachel is part of the IMS teacher training program, and she will speak for herself in a few minutes. Um, uh, Rachel will, Rachel uh, will, and Tara here will be sitting in on some of the interview groups as part of their teacher training, and supporting the retreat in various ways. And we're very grateful that they're here. Uh, Yuka, um, I'm Christina. This is Akinchino. Uh, here we have Luis, who is going to be leading the yoga through the retreat. So as you can see, we, we actually have really quite a big team here. Um, <laughs> so hopefully we can, we can serve you well. Hopefully we can serve you well. For those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, one of the guiding teachers here at IMS. Um, I've been teaching here for... I think it's going on for 45 years, which is really a long time. <laughs> it's really a long time. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, as it is, uh, still here, the first 20 years, people say, of their practice is the hardest. And uh, you know, I think I can attest to that a little bit. Um, the first 20 years of teaching here were probably the hardest when... We really didn't know how to run a young, uh, a new center as 20-something-year-olds. But, um, okay, let's start with just everyone just saying a few words about who they are, okay? And then we'll, we'll go into the talk. You want to start? Yeah, my name is Akinjino. I'm based in Europe where I do most of my uh, meditational shoveling and... Um, I enjoy coming over here for the last half a dozen years. So, um, I feel privileged to uh, have had exposure to an, a number of fine people who, on whose feet I have sat in Asia and in the West. I have a, a monastic background. First, uh, some, after some years of Zen practice, I joined the Theravada monastic forest community and uh, lived with them in various countries. Uh, that has left, uh, I think, uh, an indelible mark. <laughs> uh, oh. Then I have left the communities and uh, became a psychotherapist and um, have now moved firmly into post-traditional territory with great gratitude for traditional uh, milieus of practice. I um, find it necessary to address issues of translation, uh, less so linguistic translations and more so cultural translation of 
early Buddhist teaching. This is where my my heart is, and uh, I I do most of this uh, overseas in uh, the Central Europe. Part of it together with Christina, uh, with an outfit called Bodhi College. And I look forward to have a week with you. I recognize there are alternatives to spend your holidays uh, to IMS, and I, you know, I rate myself privileged that there are people who come at great distances and uh, considerable expense to um, take up something that I personally value, and it validates me as well. Yeah. So that's me for the moment. Let me just switch this off. Hi, so I'm Tara, and I'm just really honored to be here to support your practice in any way I can over the next week. Um, A little about me, I'm from Berkeley, California, and I've been a lawyer for a little over 20 years. In the midst of that, I was able to do some intensive practice, lots of daily practice, and so now I'm in the IMS teacher training. Um, Some of the things that I've done in the Dharma area are um, I co-founded and co-lead a people of color um, insight meditation group in San Francisco. Um, The next retreat that I'll be training on is the LGBTQ retreat here at IMS. So um, I hope that everyone feels welcome here and um, really applaud you on the all the efforts I know went into coming here and into this endeavor of of participating in this retreat. So thank you so much. So, can you hear me? Is it okay, loud enough? (laughs) Maybe we can turn the volume up a little bit. Is it possible? Just a tiny bit. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so you probably don't know which microphone is which button, isn't it? There are about a thousand. Yeah. Well, just just leave it be for now. We'll we'll deal with it in the morning. (laughs) I will just try to speak up a little bit. So, also very well, warm welcome from my side. It's just always so nice to come back here because for me, really, IMS is like a kind of a spiritual home. I've been sitting uh, long retreats, so it's just. It brings up all these memories, you know, so it's wonderful to see all of you here. Um, My name is Yuka. I'm based in Switzerland, in Europe, and I'm a psychologist and an MBSR teacher and teaching the Dharma since a few years. And it's just such a privilege and also joy to teach together with Christina and with Akinchano. So it's wonderful to be here with you and I'm really looking forward to this week. So I'm Rachel, um, 
and it's a beautiful view from up here. I've spent many months sitting where, where you're sitting now. In fact, my first retreat was um, many years ago when Christina was, was teaching um, right here. Um, so, um, yeah, a bit about me. So I'm Canadian, um, and I'm a scientist by, by training. I work full-time at a university right now, and I also teach um, Dharma in Vancouver, and I'm excited to be with you this week um, to support your practice. So thank you for all your sincere efforts. Okay, so what we'd like to do this evening is to to really introduce the retreat to give a little bit of an overview of the container and and to really touch upon some of the so the kind of core principles that are really really uphold a, a retreat environment. First of all, I also want to applaud you getting here. I know for many people in the fullness of their lives actually taking a week off is no small thing and arranging you know who's watering the plants and the garden and feeding the cat and looking after the kids and covering for you at work and uh, it does take a whole village sometimes to get someone on a retreat and I think it's good to to remember that and appreciate that and you know really recognize that in coming here of course we we practice not only for our own well-being, but for all of those who care for us and support us. Um, hopefully, we'll bring some benefits home. <laughs> um, one of the first stories that we inherit from the, li- the story of the life of the Buddha is, is the story of renunciation. You know, we, we hear the story or read the story of this young man who grew up in, in India at that time was in something of a privileged position. But after, in, in facing, coming to face with the, you know, the very existential human dilemmas of aging, sickness, death, of unwelcome change, the the universal vulnerabilities that are are really part of all of our lives as human beings. Decided to leave the the familiarity of his life and embark on a journey to seek for meaning, to seek for freedom. And this was an act of considerable courage for this young man in the society he lived in, you know, approval, certainty, belonging, um, really rested upon conforming to, you know, social expectations, cultural expectations of who he was supposed to be. So it risked a lot to leave. And of course, he didn't know the outcome of this journey. And I, I think this story does point to something quite quite powerful about, uh, you know, the qualities of a positive discontent, you know, and even what we would call a, a wholesome desire. And there are many wholesome desires. And I think that 
positive discontent or those wholesome desires are part of all of us actually arriving here, you know, actually starting on this path. Coming on a retreat is not in any way a rejection of life or a rejection of the world. It's certainly a world that really needs our our conscious and ethical engagement. But I think most of us come to a place in ourselves and our lives where, you know, sometimes there's some dissatisfaction if feeling, you know, if we're just enduring things or just surviving. And we we recognize and we appreciate, you know, we're lay people. We we don't live monastic lives. We you know, and being lay people means that we're we're, you know, very much engaged in a relational wor- way with the world around us. Many of you, of course, probably have meaningful work, hopefully some meaningful relationships. But I think in coming here, it, it's part of recognizing and appreciating that the possibility of discovering some depth of inner peace, some depth of inner freedom that's really not dependent upon the world of conditions. I always find there's this sort of interesting tension in the Buddhist teaching, you know, because it taught so much about learning not to be a hostage to the world of conditions. And yet, also recognizing that none of us, none of us are invulnerable to the world of conditions that we live in. A world of conditions that in many ways is so innately unreliable and unpredictable. I think part of cultivating our own capacities, our own possibilities for peace, for freedom, is recognizing that this is what enables us to be conscious participants in the world that we live in being able to contribute, hopefully, to shaping that world on the grounds of ethics, on the grounds of compassion, on the grounds of kindness. I think renunciation, you know, we hear it as such a big word. In fact, I think it often sounds like such a big word to people that we, we don't even use it very much. You know, we try and temper it down. You know, we talk about letting go and, you know, you know it sounds easier than renunciation, which can sound kind of dry and demanding. Sometimes we imagine that renunciation is some very dramatic gesture or act. But I think you've all engaged in so many gestures of renunciation just to get here. Think of the things that you've let go of to be here. You know, the world of familiarity, how many certainties you've yielded to come into a place where there's more uncertainty. We too don't know the outcomes of this week of being here together. How much you, you've let, been willing to let go of, of the control, you know, the absolute control over your environment and conditions and the, the comforts that you've left behind. How many perhaps of our patterns of distractedness we leave behind us. And I think there's also deeper renunciations involved in coming into a retreat, which are already felt to be quite liberating. 
You know, here you, you don't have to be anyone special. You don't have to be someone for anyone else. You know, you can kind of put down your roles for a while and, you know, those particular identities and actually begin to see what unfolds. My reading of the word renunciation, it's about how to travel lightly in this life. It's about how how to, to kind of ease the load that we can carry so much. And so I think in coming on, on a retreat, you know, in part of that spirit of traveling lightly, it, it's a little bit helpful to reflect for ourselves on what really is essential and what is inessential in being here. There's much that is essential, and there's probably also really a great deal that is inessential. Because that journey of unbinding, that journey of renunciation, really will continue through the retreat. And then you ask, well, what really are we putting down? What really are we renouncing? And it, it, it's, it's often a very much an inner journey of, of learning to unbind from habits that don't serve us well, from thoughts and moods and reactions that don't serve us well the judgments, the projects, the busyness, the agitations, the comparing, the shooting, the, the anxieties, all of those habit patterns that we know really don't serve us well. We have an opportunity here to begin to unbind, to begin to actually lighten that load. It takes some conscious intention. But we, we engage in that unbinding and we engage in that that, that renunciation, so we really can hold close to our hearts what is actually really much more essential to our well-being, our capacities for kindness, our capacities for compassion, our capacities for clarity, our capacities for stillness. I think all of this grows out of that ground of beginning to simplify and, and, and to focus on what is, what is essential. And I think for many people in the busiest times and the most stressed times of their lives, often dream of being in a place like this, in a situation like this. I, mean, I don't know what your life is like. I, I don't have people cooking for me. I don't, I don't have people shopping for me. I, I don't have people cleaning up after me, you know. I don't have people sort of taking care that as much as care can be taken that I'm supported and well. We often dream of this, and yet the mind is so wayward, isn't it? We finally get to that place that we've dreamt about, and, and the doubts begin to creep in. You know, maybe I should have gone Zumba dancing this week, you know, or, you know, there was this beach holiday maybe I could have taken, and what am I doing here anyway, you know? And, you know, if, if it was just a bit more like this, the wayward mind so easily uh, creeps in. So I think arriving here is one part of starting this journey, and I think the other part is, is this inner reorientation um, of, of what we need to learn, to learn to put down moment to moment, some of the habit patterns that really don't really serve us well, so that that which is beautiful and that which is lovely can really flourish.
I want to touch upon the, this word bhavana, which in our culture we translate as meditation so uh, inadequately, actually. You know, what do you think about when you hear the word meditation? Do you think about, you know, sitting with your eyes closed, you know, having a certain amount of equipment, you know, um, focusing on, on your breathing. I mean, what kind of image comes to mind when you, when you think of the word meditation? It, it's not terrible images, you know. It, it, they can be quite useful. It's certainly part of what we engage in here. But this word bhavana that we translate as meditation is, is far more, it's from the Pali, far more accurately translated as cultivation. And, and that is actually what we're engaged in here. You know, when you think of the word cultivating, it, it doesn't require closed eyes. You know, it doesn't require a certain amount of equipment. You know, it doesn't require a certain uh, environment. Cultivation is very much an intentional, really, dedication, isn't it? And, and here we, we are learning to cultivate. What is it that we're cultivating? The seeds of capacity that are already present within us. Learning to cultivate our capacity for, for balance, for steadiness, for stillness, for kindness, for care, for sensitivity. And, you know, the great, the great good news of that cultivation is that this is what does the letting go. Not as an act of will and not as a, as a project. This is what does the letting go. We will touch on this theme I think, much more during the retreat. Just the last thing I want to mention before I hand over is I really recognize that, you know, retreats aren't just made because of a, a certain environment or conditions. Retreats are something we make together, you know. And even now as we arrive, I just really encourage you, just look around you a little bit, people who are sitting beside you, people who are around you, you know, these these are your companions for this week. You know, these are the folks that we're going to be we're going to be creating this retreat space together with. Hmm? Now, some of you I know come from different different traditions, different meditation traditions. So you've you've probably come across the instructions in beginning retreats about not making eye contact. Some of you have come across that, I'm sure. Um, we don't actually give those instructions, okay? I mean, there's been times in my own practice, you know, when it's been really important for me, particularly, you know, if my mind has felt more scattered and fragmented, it's been really important for me to be quite, uh, you know, almost a guardian of my, how I'm using my eyes and to be quite focused. But I, I think it, it's so important to, you know, if you think about the two two major forms of sort of, uh, relational punishment in our culture. One is a withdrawal of speech and the other is a withdrawal of being seen. You know, guess what? <laughs> you know, it doesn't actually always make people feel very safe or very welcomed or very, very, very part of, uh, part of the community that we are here. So we will engage in silence, but I hope really it is a silence of kindness. But I think how we use our eyes needs to be as much part of our, our practice, as much a part of mindfulness as anything else, you know. Um, 
you know, we know that our eyes can be big messengers of, of uh, you know, of, of wanting and greed. Those same eyes can be messengers of appreciation. And so, you know, use this as part of your practice, you know, knowing if there are times when, yes, you, you just feel all over the place and it's just really helpful to focus in and be a guardian. But otherwise, you know, if your practice is devastated by, you know, someone making eye contact with you or offering a smile, we need to spend more time here. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's too fragile, you know. So, so please, you know, we, we really want a retreat together, created together, to feel like it is really a, a place of kindness, you know. And that eye contact, you know, we know when we use our eyes and we're looking for approval or affirmation or, or something, you know, okay, just, oh, yeah, that's what's going on there. Aha, there's another way of using these eyes. So really take that responsibility upon yourself, you know. And if you happen to, you know, cross somebody's path in the dining room or, you know, uh, or, you know in the hallways, you know, it's okay, you know, to see them. Uh, it doesn't need to lead to big hugs or, you know, or, or, or anything. It, it's just okay to see them. And if somebody doesn't actually actually see you, you know, you might just feel a moment of compassion that that person's really caring for their really scattered mind, you know, and it's not because they're, they're, they're dissing you in some way, you know. So anyway, that, I just really want to just name that as, as being part of our practice rather than some... Uh, in a rigid prescription that we're following. Okay? So, Akinshna. I'm sorry, I'm going on. So, what are we doing when we do a retreat? Um, let us acknowledge there is some artificiality to that. I would expect that the retreat schedule uh, doesn't 100% uh, coincide with the patterns of your liking or with your biorhythms or with your particular sense of what you feel inclined to do right now. So we want to acknowledge there is something set up, something artificial, something constrained even, something ritual, and um, quite possible that some of this goes against your patterns or your liking or your mood or... um, you know, bells come too late or come too early or you feel like a lot more sitting and now it's walking or you feel like a lot more walking and now it's sitting again. Or um, You may gel with some of what one of us says but not what the other one says. So I'd like to encourage you to be interested in your responses or your, react, your reactions without necessarily take them at face value. You know, part of the deal of a retreat is that you, um, you are the experiment. Yeah. You are willing to find out what forces rule the habits, the patterns, the attentional focus and movements in your mind within the framework of a given structure. Now, obviously, we, you could try to come and convince us to optimize that structure in ways that are more suited to your biorhythm or your current situation, which is uh, something we bluntly discourage you to try to do with us. Uh, so I just want to, you know, n- not give you much hope about this. Um, 
But you could also say, I am interested what this particular structure does with me. So when we get clear parameters like, you know, a schedule or particular behavioral patterns or when we eat and when we don't and when we're in and when we're out, uh, generally we'll, we'll meet parts of ourselves that we don't meet. Yeah? So the Japanese word for retreat is seshin. Uh, it means something like touching the spirit. So we... We're going to touch that spirit. That's, that's the bhavana piece Christina was referring to. We call into being qualities that are fostering awakening, yeah? that are capable of rendering us more whole, more complete, more happy, more awake. And we're also cultivating strength. We're cultivating stamina. We're cultivating uh, tolerance towards our own frustrations, we're cultivating patience. There's a lot of, in today's jargon, this would be called non-reactiveness. Yeah? Uh, Buddhist jargon would call this kanti, something like forbearance, to use an old-fashioned term. Yeah? We're willing to bear things, particularly bear our own reactiveness, our own patterns, our own resistance. And that's not something you have to overcome. That's something you actually have to allow in. You know, that's not what stops you from practicing. That's that is practice. Yeah. Uh, much of meditation basically consists of meditation as we think, or as it as this as the description of the instruction sounds not working. So much of meditation exercise consists on meditation not working. Yeah. So obviously we don't write that into the brochures, but now that we're here, we, we, we uh, feel that we should come, you know, clean, clean on that one. <laughs> so, so I'd like you to make a promise right now, and that promise is that you, uh, that that meditation practitioner you brought along, uh, that you that you don't let that meditation practitioner down, even though he or she may disappoint you or may frustrate you or may turn out to be not as high-minded as you uh, thought he or she might be. Yeah? So whatever that meditator you uh, happen to be sitting with uh, is doing, you're not letting this guy down. Okay? Even if he doesn't perform or she doesn't perform as you think he or she should, you, you don't forsake this meditator. This is your friend. You're going to befriend that one. Yeah. Even if you're angry with him, if you're unhappy about her, uh, you're not going to let this person down. This is your meditator and you're going to care for this being. Self-care is an old Greek concept which many modern Buddhists could learn something from. You know? The quality of self-care, of looking uh, sometimes translated as caring for one's soul or caring for one's being, uh, is, a, is a crucial concept in the project of development, the project of cultivation. Um, so, as a retreat format, that means there are a couple of ground rules. One of them is basically turning up. Christina said half of the work is done, or sometimes she says that, half of the work is done if you're actually here. So you've basically, um, you know, half of the bill is paid. 
you're here, you've made it. Um, it is need, needed to reauthenticate that statement, say, tomorrow morning there is a, a need for reauthentication of that commitment. So you have to keep coming back. And uh, that obviously is going to be the linchpin of your practice here is that you are present. Yeah? Both present physically, but also that you keep presencing your mind. Uh, as you know, we, we have this wonderful gift to not be with our minds where our bodies are. Yeah? That's a sometimes useful and helpful strategy to find strength. Yeah. The choir of uh, the imprisoned in Nabucco, when they sing, you know, fly my thought towards the freedom, then that gives you strength. But unfortunately, our minds often fly away without gaining strength. They fly away because they don't like it here or because they find it boring here or they somehow disagree with the, the here and now. And then our minds fly away into all kinds of directions without gaining particular strength. So much of our ability to dissociate from the body uh, is a loss of our strength and energy. So retreats are an attempt to help us reconnect these forces. We reauthenticate our commitment to being here. Transformation takes place here. Happiness takes place only here. Action can only take place here. Learning can only take place here and now. Yeah? So there are good reasons to be here because here is where all this, and only here is where all this is becoming possible. So being here, learning to be here, even if the going is not always smooth, is a great skill. Yeah? So retreats are attempts to make our stamina for being here bigger. Yeah? They make us more resilient for being here. So what does, that, uh, what does that entail? One of the aspects of it is silence. It's totally artificial as a group of homo sapiens together and being quiet. You know? We're geared for connection. You know? We have neocortical centers for detecting the mimic of our fellow human beings in split seconds to gauge whether they are about to eat us, or whether they are friendly to us, or whether they're trying to flirt with us, or whether they are trying, whether they're in calling for help. Yeah? We have a lot of uh, equipment, neural equipment, to connect with others. We begin to mimic each other's moods. Yeah? If one starts yawning, you know, suddenly the number, number two row starts yawning. You know? So you can actually, sometimes as a teacher, you see the little elevated, you can see how somebody's restlessness ripples through the room. You, know? you can have sneezing attacks. This doesn't just happen in nurseries or in, in the neonatology department. It also happens in uh, meditation retreats. So we are collectively much more wired to and clued into each other's states and being, body language, mood. Um, all this is very, very prominent. And as a group, we're obviously having an effect on each other, on all of us. So we're building a collective atmosphere. That collective atmosphere has something to do both with respect, because the work we're doing only we ourselves can do. Nobody can do that work for us. So um, all of you have good reasons to be here. And 
one aspect of that respect is that we try not to pull out your attention. Yeah? Most of our attention is involuntary attention, which means it feels as if the objects out there are pulling attention out. Then there's a little bit of deliberate attention, of voluntary attention, while involuntary attention is evolu has, has a lot of evolutionary support. You don't need to have it trained, it's actually there. Uh, voluntary, deliberate attention needs a lot of training. It's, it's highly, uh, it's hard work to get voluntary attention going. So we make a commitment to not pull out each other's attention. Our respect for the other, uh, is by not trying to pull out the other's attention to my person or to my scene or to my behavior. Uh, a particular feature of that is silence. So we are silent with each other and we're, uh, we are doing that silence in a friendly way. We're not silent because basically you guys are all my meditation obstacles and I just, you know, fob you off by stern silence, you know. I just wrap myself into a blanket of stern silence and you guys don't come too close. That's not the idea of noble silence. That's a type of innoble silence, ignoble silence. Noble silence is friendly, is warm, is caring. But it says, uh, look, I know how difficult it is to address your stuff. I know because I have difficult stuff to address myself. Uh, I appreciate that you set an example for my practice by being here, by sitting upright, by turning up, by applying yourself to these exercises. That helps me. So I'm trying to be such an example for you as well. I care for you without demanding your attention, either by verbal address or by uh, uh, ingenious mimicry or by... Uh, uh, manual storytelling or, you know, whatever your tricks are. Uh, so uh, staying quiet and practicing the art of returning the light, of bringing attention to the own heart and attending to what is emerging in that inner space. That is greatly fostered also by... Uh, firm commitment to switch off your electronic devices. We're going to have a basket here tomorrow morning and I would like to encourage you just to bring at least one of your smartphones over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As a gesture of, you know, we have a difficult job. Yeah? We have basically Neolithic brains. Yeah? They're very simple. You know, we're, we're in bad need of software updates and actually we're, we're, we're operating in a world that has, is full of titillations and uh, with brains that are not really geared to cope with that. So we're easily addicted, we're easily mesmerized, we're easily pulled into things. We're, uh, you know, dopamine-hungry, poor homo sapiens, which one can easily derail by just, you know, playing with the respective carrots for our poor brains and then we we just slavishly begin either to salivate or to absorb information or to fixate our gazes on things or go into compulsive problem solving modes there's so many things that you can do with a poor unupdated human brain so let's acknowledge this let's not pretend we're rational we are not let's not pretend we're more mature than we are Switch these damn things off and bring them here tomorrow. That would be my recommendation.
we're quite clear this is a real challenge and uh, I'm actually quite serious that this is, and that's why I am so um, so emphatic that the this is, a, this is a difficulty, and a difficulty the, the meditators in the day of the Buddha didn't have. Yeah. Uh, it was, they think it was difficult to meditate then. Uh, and we have our possibilities for distractions are, uh, have you know, dramatically increased. So consider making a commitment to the schedule, to being here, and to applying to seek to touch the spirit in this retreat. Yeah? That probably means that some of your alternative programs, and sometimes we have alternative programs to the schedule. Yeah? There's this one program that is documented, and then there's this other program that I have somehow brought along, which means I have to read a couple of books, I get in my 10-mile run, I, you know, I, uh, yeah, meditation is a good thing, but then... Again, I have some other projects going. So I would like you to sacrifice, as an act of what Christina meant by renunciation, to sacrifice your alternative pro- programs and just settle for the program that is offered. We're here. We're not going to do anything else. We'll be as much with you as we can in the ver- variety of formats. Um, we don't have alternative programs. And we'd like to encourage you to do the same. So... Promise you're not going to let yourself down, even if you find yourself disappointing. That's important. Um, Hand in your infernal device tomorrow morning. And uh, respectful, caring silence as a support to build a collective atmosphere that enables the cultivation of wholesome forces that enables the cultivation of what is difficult, introspective competence. Thank you. Good retreat, and I'll pass on to Yoko. So, as Christina and Akinchano mentioned, this is really about the practice of being present and of also being present together in this community and cultivating the wholesome to really nourish that which is skillful in our hearts and minds. And this practice of wholesome state and of wholesome actions is really at the foundation of our whole practice. And I would like to say a few words. I'm sure many of you are familiar with them about the ethical guidelines, about the shilas that really are the context and and the foundation of everything that we are going to do during this week. So what we are really trying to do is to consciously cultivate and water all the seeds of the good in our minds and to abstain from all the unskillful reactions that we might may notice arising. And it is through this practice of making intentional choices that gradually uh, change can happen, transformation can happen. And if we 
don't do that in this way if our dharma practice, if our meditation practice is not rooted in such a clear choice and you know, decision and commitment to the wholesome, um, then our dharma practice simply cannot grow and flourish because then we will just keep creating new obstacles which will make the unfolding even more difficult. And we all know how difficult meditation practice is and it's really not necessary to make this even more difficult if we don't have this fundamental orientation that we really want to go in the direction of more wholesomeness, then our meditation practice likely will become something very superficial, uh, just a technique in a way. And it really fails to touch us and move us and transform us as human beings, as persons living in this world and living in, in relationships. Christopher Titmus calls this a kind of mental gymnastics if we just do meditation without the ethical framework, with it, without uh, orientation, what we actually want to cultivate and what not. And we are... We are human beings. We live in a group. We live in relationship with ourselves. We live as part of this world. We live as part and we practice as part of this community in this week. It's so clear that we are completely embedded in all these relationships. And... It is through our actions and through how we behave that we all, as it has been mentioned already, that we contribute to the climate among this group, that we all can really contribute to create a safe and welcoming retreat container that will support all of us. So we can really help to nourish these qualities of care, of respect, of appreciation for each other. And on this basis, we can see that the five ethical guidelines that the Buddha taught um, are very practical and concrete formulations of what it means to live and act skillfully in this world not harming other beings, but rather seeking ways how we can care and support each other. And they are guidelines that really help us to see where it is important to pay attention, where it is important that we are very mindful in our actions. And they are not meant as probably many of you know, they are not meant to be commandments that we just follow blindly out of fear of being punished. And especially in the context of such a retreat as we have it this week, we want to bring extra attention to all our actions and impulses and just see how can we practice wholesomeness even on more subtle levels. So these five 
guidelines, you could say they are like practice guidelines for our mindfulness practice, are these five, to abstain from killing, so to abstain from taking life from other beings. So it really means to have this care towards life in all its forms and to live in a way that we can protect life as much as is possible. So really being mindful of our impact of our actions. What are the consequences of what we are doing? The second one is to abstain from taking what has not been offered to us freely. And this means we really respect that other beings um, are attached to their belongings, they have their needs, and we don't just take from them what they have not offered to us. Or more positively formulated, we try to live from a place of generosity rather than of what can I get out of it, of sharing. The third um, guideline in daily life, is, it has the meaning that we abstain from sexual activities that hurt other beings, from unskillful sexual relationships and in the context of a retreat. It means that we abstain from all sexual activities, not because sexual activities in, a, in themselves are negative, but just because we are really aware of how powerful sexuality can be and how much we can get lost in sexual activities or fantasies. And it is really a skillful choice for the duration of a retreat to say, no, I'm just going to stay with the practice of, of awareness. So I'm not going uh, to go get lost in, in such things, but really try to just stay with this awareness and mindfulness practice. Then we have the fourth guideline around communication, which means in daily life to abstain from wrong speech. And of course, as Akinchano has said, here in the context of the retreat, it means that we um, practice this noble silence. And it is really a practice. It's a noble silence. Uh, it's a kind form of silence. So really to respect the space that we all need for this practice to unfold. And in the context of interviews, of course, we are going to talk and uh, be engaging in communication. It means that we are really mindful of how are we speaking, how are we listening to really bring awareness to these situations. And the fifth guideline is around intoxicants. So we abstain from taking substances that could potentially cloud our mind, um, like alcohol, for instance. And of course, this doesn't apply to prescripted medications. Yeah, So it's mainly just to be aware when there is a tendency to 
take things just because they promise us some, you know, nice feelings or so, that we really use this space to have a, a mind that is really clear and that is able to, to see clearly because that's what we want to do here. Um, these guidelines are really very general formulations and I think they really are so helpful as an orientation, as a very general orientation. And at the same time, we constantly have to explore what do they actually mean for each of us in a given situation. So I would like to invite you not just to see them as rules, you know, one to five, which we have to follow, but rather as explorations to, to investigate for yourself again and again, what do these guidelines actually mean? And maybe to refine your understanding, because we can understand them in different ways, on different levels. And it's really also part of the mindfulness practice and of Dharma practice to engage with them and not just to, you know, adopt them in a dogmatic way. So really also to see this as part of the whole investigation that we want to do during this week. So, uh, thank you for your attention. Again, we're, we're going to um, end the evening with just a very short sit. I know many of you have traveled today, and for all of us up here, it's, it's some unearthly hour after midnight right now. Uh, so, uh, I think for, we're, on, we're on different time zones. Um, uh, so, please take a moment to stand up and stretch, if you wish, and then we'll have a very short sit. We don't open the windows. It's air conditioning we need. It feels very warm. So just taking our seats in a, in a posture that feels as balanced, as upright as, you, as is possible. Aware of your, your body touching the ground. A sense of arriving. Arriving here on the retreat, arriving in this moment as it is, arriving in the body of this moment. Cultivating a, a kindly, curious mindfulness about how it is just to sit here. 
just to be with yourself, your body of the moment, to be with the mind-heart of the moment. Just cultivate a sense of caring attentiveness. Sensitive to the life of your body just now. The landscape, the spectrum of sensations that are present. Mindful of the body sitting, the body sensing, the body listening, and the body breathing. So tune in your attentiveness, the most simple but core process of breathing in, breathing out, sense of gathering, collecting our attentiveness simply to be here. So tomorrow morning we have no scheduled sitting before breakfast. Of course, if you're awake, please feel welcome to come and sit. The hall is always open. Um, 
then after breakfast, the work period and our first scheduled sitting is at 8.15. But I really, really invite you, really encourage you to, to really have a sense now that, you know, your retreat has begun. It, it's a gift to yourself. And of course, it is a privilege to be here. Allow yourself to slow down. It's one of the first things we can begin to let go of on a retreat. You really don't have to be in a hurry. Hmm? Um, to allow yourself to begin to slow down, really to, to have a sense of really beginning to, to inhabit the body, inhabit this moment, and to take care, to take care of how, how we are present. And I hope that you rest well, and uh, we'll see you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.